0: Classical Christian education. I find it fascinating that this amazing form of education that we so love is often so challenging for parents and educators to define well. And in an effort to explain it and live it out, we often latch on to narrow definitions and understandings, and risk missing out on the big picture. My guest today has thought a lot about these various ditches that we can fall into while showing the power of classical Christian education to effectively raise up the next generation. Join us for this episode, as I'm confident you will discover even more reasons to love and appreciate this form of education that is literally taking the world by storm at this moment in history. Don't miss this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation, get
1: equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it ancient future education for raising the next generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens.
0: Welcome to Basecamp Live here at the SCL Conference in Charleston, South Carolina, live with Clifford Humphrey. How are you, Clifford?
1: Doing well, thanks.
0: So good to have you here on the show. You are the Director of Admissions at Thales College. Um, and you're a postdoc fellow at the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America. That sounds just like two massive things going on all at once. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about what you're doing there at Thales. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, well, Thales College is a brand-new college that is— we have a soft launch this year, so we're doing a dual-enrollment program in the fall and spring, Yeah. and then we're doing our hard launch in fall of 2022. And it's a, okay. a college—the mission is to provide an affordable liberal arts and professional education— to give students the wisdom they need to thrive in life and work. Wow. Yeah, That's so it's an, it's an interesting school. So, uh, it's classical, but we offer three professional tracks, entrepreneurial yep. business, mechanical engineering, and uh, a classical education and leadership. Okay, wow. Well done. And then your postdoc, what are you doing there? What's that all about? Yeah, my postdoc is at uh, Catholic University, and I'm just getting to... Do some research and publish my uh, a lot of my dissertation, which was on a lesser-known figure from the founding named John Taylor of Caroline and his understanding of federalism at the time of the founding. That sounds pretty
0: intense, but yeah. really good. It's fun. So we're here to talk about. We've had some fun. Com- you know, there's so many things that happen pre turn on the mic that are just rich, and and we've had some a lot of fun today talking about just this um, kind of the the. The challenge that I think is very universal, just in human nature, which is we want things to fit into categories, and so we see it politically, where everybody wants to kind of go, "Well, you're one of those, and I'm one of these." We see it in sports, you know, if you're if you're not on my team, you're on their team, and like I'm going to wear my jersey, you're going to wear your jersey, and it, it's normal, it's part of human nature. That's right, and we do it in the church world, you know, I'm a Baptist, you're Methodist, you're one of those, I'm one of these, um, and I think when we get to classical Christian education that sort of. Tension or, or, or maybe um, temptation is there, which is I picked the school uh, for my kid in kindergarten. Um, I heard the open house talk. I've heard the headmaster's news, read the newsletter thing. I think I kind of get it. I buy it. It makes sense for my family. Now, let me move on to other things. And we've have you know, it's the inch, inch, uh, inch deep and a mile wide understanding so let's talk about so you've got some excellent just ways to frame this because it's so important that we continue much like the christian life don't you don't give up after you pray to receive jesus at 12 at summer camp you should go your whole life right digging into deep theology so walk us through some of these temptations to uh maybe fall in, fall into the ditch of not going deep sure sure
1: yeah uh, what got me started thinking about this was I was I was a teacher for two years at a classical Christian school in Pensacola, Florida, and absolutely loved it. And ever since, I've been interested and in want to get back and stay involved in. Classical what were you education. teaching there? Right? I was teaching Latin, Greek, um, omnibus debate, rhetoric. They they threw me into Are <laughs> oh, you had there. One, the the uh, immersive yeah, experience? Teacher of et cetera. That's yes, right. Yeah. that's right. Uh, but I I found as I was as I would talk to people about classical education, it was apparent that. They had different definitions. Some people thought it was more like this. Some people thought it was more like that. And I've been trying to understand myself. Well, how do I understand it? And so uh, my observation was I see three broad categories uh, for classical education. And it seems these are simplifications and generalizations, but it seems to me that most people fall into one of these three ways of thinking about classical education. And my sense is that I see a strength and a weakness Hmm. in each of them. And for me, it seems that the that the way we ought to operate is to be aware of what these three kind of approaches to classical education are, and then use the strengths and the weaknesses appropriately.
0: And before we get into them, I and just again to kind of set up the problem again, much kind of stay back to the example I just gave of kind of the Christian life. If your depth of your Christian faith is just the Jesus prayer you did at summer camp, you're going to get, and we see this. I mean, Barna statistics historically have been like eighty percent grow up in the church and they walk away. It's not all that different, I think, in classical Christian schools in the sense they pick the, the school for their kid in the uniform, you know, kindergarten, and now all of a sudden they hit middle school, now all of a sudden they hit high school. The depth of understanding and appreciation is so thin, they're going to get picked off quickly. And so That's
1: right, and they don't know how complex these ideas really are. Um, and, and one simple example is, is dual enrollment. I know for a lot of people, dual enrollment is an unqualified good. So, so define it. Just what does that mean? Sure, sure. Dual enrollment is the opportunity that exists more and more now for people who are high schoolers to be able to take classes at a college or maybe online for a college, and then they will graduate. With college, credits. with college credits that they can then transfer. Which parents love because the economics makes Absolutely. sense. My kid's
0: already a junior and they just want... Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, and we're, at Thales College, we're offering dual enrollment courses with a yeah. partnership at the College of Southeastern, and, and students can take those courses and then transfer them anywhere, and it's a chance to save a lot of money. And for that reason, it is a wise choice What's most the of the time. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is is that students and parents don't, or they're not as discerning as they have been the, the whole time that they they've been rearing their children in these in schools and homeschools and so they think oh, I'm just going to get them into these dual enrollment courses often at community colleges and they'll take those courses and they'll save money the problem is is that the culture that 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 prevails in a lot of those colleges and the curriculum and the topics that they're studying are exactly the things that they were avoiding Hmm. the entire time they had their students homeschooled or in classical Christian schools. So it's really a discernment problem.
0: Like they discerned well, maybe to put their kids in the K-12, and then they stopped discerning when that's they right. think about college. That's right, yeah. So, so, so give us an example of kind of your own experience. Right, so
1: here. my mother, uh, whenever I would ask her, you know, why are we homeschooling, she would she would really provide two reasons. One was, well, public school is state-funded babysitting. You don't really mm-hmm. learn anything serious. Or you I want will, to get a T-shirt that says that. Again. That's right. <laughs> or you'll, you'll get indoctrinated with you know, ideas that I don't agree with. I
0: call it rainbows and unicorns. Yeah,
1: exactly. And sure enough, my senior year, I took two dual enrollment courses in English and uh, English 101. The college level reading book that we had was Harry Potter, the very first book. And I know a lot of people love that book. Um, If you don't know, if you've never read, that's a series of maybe, I think, seven of Mm -hmm. them, and they get progressively more difficult. But the first one is a children's level yeah book yeah. and that's what i read for my college english course and i'll date myself here but you got extra credit if you went to see the movie that came out that year uh, so it was not yeah. serious it was it was sure. state funded babysitting in a lot of ways but your
0: point is that parents are just again selectively and i've said this often on the show so, you know again uh, and i'm a parent and i can be guilty of this sometimes but we sometimes spend more time you know, making consumer buying decisions, picking out the mm-hmm. trim package on our SUV than we really do our kids' school. And part of it, again, is this, as we said at the beginning, this need for just simple categories for life, life is busy. I, do I need classical Christian? Honestly, I've also said this on the show, it's intimidating. I mean, most of us didn't have it. Um, we we don't want to be shamed by it. recognizing our kids sometimes know more than we do, or the ideas are more complex. But again, if we don't take the time to understand this amazing opportunity to, to ultimately allow our children to flourish and become who God's made them to be, then we're at risk of what I often see, again, are parents that pick kindergarten, and then they 13-year journey, they stop when their kids get to high school and say, well, now we're going to put them in a real school saying so get ready for college, and they just literally gutted classical Christian education and the richness of what their children need. So, That's right. So, but we've we got a lot to cover, but let's jump into some of these categories, as you see them, that people, again, the two ditches you can fall into. What's the first one? Yeah.
1: The first one I call antiquarian, which just means that you have a preference for things that are old. Yeah. And, Like you know, antiques, right. Sure, antiques. Yeah. 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 and And... <laughs> Uh, It makes sense. Uh, In fact, G.K. Chesterton has a famous uh, example or an analogy of of conservatism as the understanding that you, you shouldn't tear down a fence unless you can understand fully why it was put <laughs> up in the first place. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it can be a healthy disposition. But, uh, but antiquarian largely can also be another form of, of what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Mm. And he, he refers to it as, the, as the progr- in the progressive way where most people think that whatever's newest and, and, and latest is, is better than what's in the past. But w- what we forget is that mm. you can do the exact same thing by preferring whatever is old. And so, uh, you see this in, in education for all your your old prep schools that mm-hmm. have uh, old, you know, traditional-looking uniforms or buildings uh, or, or classes that teach Latin, for example, strictly as sort of a marker of elitism. And, and they're trying to show we are old and traditional, and that makes it good. And there's something problem
0: it, with that. It, and then they just kind of full stop on that. I mean, they're basically, I maybe way another say it is you're basically kind of selling Mayberry and there's a lot of families that come and they want, you know, this safe, bubbled insular Amish, whatever word you want to use kind of, and, th- and there's a place for that in grammar school. Um, and there's a value again, what you're, what I, what you're describing is not a saying this is inherently bad. It's just, if that's your only appreciation of classical Christian school is that it's this safe, protected environment That doesn't go the distance, and there's a likelihood you're going to jump ship or get disillusioned if you don't have more. That's right, yeah. yeah.
1: And so I think it's helpful to know what are the strengths and the weaknesses of that disposition. Yeah. Um, the strengths are, like I said, with Chesterton's thing, it's it's a good disposition to prefer to assume that whatever is established and is old and timeless, it's probably for a reason, for right. a good reason. Right. And so, it's a good disposition to to assume that it's that it's that it's good. But we can't stop thinking there. Right. Um, it also, I think, it has a way for encouraging academic rigor by by uh, having students by emphasizing primary texts instead of textbooks, and uh, and, and old art uh, as well. Right. Sure. So Th- those are strengths that it has. Um, the weaknesses, though, is, like I said, is it is it is it reduces the good to the old, yeah. And and we can't. There's a lot in the. That's, there's a lot that's old that's simply not. Well, good. And again,
0: to your point, I think you see it a lot in prep schools. You know that are mm-hmm. that are not Christian. That all they really have to offer is you know, hey, we look like Harry Potter, and we kind of have nostalgia. And, that's right. And, and in the meanwhile, all kinds of unsavory things are happening in the hallway. Like I don't think that that's enough. That's right. And so, and yeah. we're
1: kidding ourselves if we don't understand that that is a temptation <laughs> of course right
0: right and there's and and it's again i think the what what i'm hopeful what listeners whether you're a parent or your teacher is just sort of is your highest understanding and value for classical christian education that it's uh this uh, you know it's this veneer of it's old and romantic and isolated or mm-hmm. you know Opie stays in mayberry thing and or is it nostalgic and and uh and an Aquarian for the right reasons that right. we do want to hold on to what's rich and true. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And I want to, Cliff, we're going to come back. I want to get in. There's two more of these very interesting sort of tensions, ditches that we can fall into. So, we'll be right back with Clifford Humphrey. Basecamp Live listeners, I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know about an outstanding resource from our friends at Classical U. Start or continue your journey toward classical Christian education mastery. On the new and redesigned Classical U. Classical U now features a pathway planner, cohorts, interest groups, live book discussions, learning events, and four credit graduate courses from the Templeton Honors College. With the Templeton Honors Partnership, the work you do on Classical U can earn you credits that you would apply toward the Master of Arts in Teaching at Eastern University or be accepted at other universities classical u offers all of this as part of its affordable monthly subscription for groups and individuals if you're curious about what's on classical u check it out risk-free with a 14-day trial the first two presentations of every course are also completely free at all times take a look now at classicalu.com welcome back to Basecamp live here having a very inspiring conversation with clifford humphrey um, what we're talking about is being played out every single day and in the world around us. I mean, there is so much, uh, by way of un- being under attack as a classical Christian school or parent or educator, you know, we're accused now uh, for being racist and we only promote all
1: dead white guys. And so how, where are you seeing this played out? Yeah, well, I, I've seen it in higher education, um, especially at, at Princeton and Howard university and in the classics department, um, in all over the country, those departments do not have a moral defense for why they should exist. And in the case of Howard University, they're closing because they they don't know why they should exist. Uh, and 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 so uh, my concern is that classical schools that also that that simply want to have all the markers of something that's old, that makes them a very easy target for charges of um, elitism uh, and racism. Um, and th- what it does is they're saying uh, that reduces— it's easy for them to say that, that you're making education simply a litmus test to support an aristocratic class.
0: Right, right. which is definitely not in vogue right now. So um, <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> don't, yeah, in fact, even if you have all the right reasons, you're still going to get those accusations. But your point is that, <clears throat> again, if you're only an inch deep— and you know, parents are talking to the neighbor across the back fence, and they don't have an answer for it. I don't know. The uniforms were cute. Oh, really? It's it's elitist. Oh my goodness. I, maybe I've made a mistake. That's and, right. And out you go. So yeah. you, we got we got to anchor deep. That's so right. So what's the next tension we might get ourselves into?
1: Uh, the next tension, and again, these are these are ways of looking at classical education. Um, and so the first one I said was antiquarian. The second yeah. one is formulaic, and I see this especially in uh, Charlotte Mason, Dorothy Sayers, and. Uh, There's a strange word, progim's not... not. This is why I don't say this word, by the way. Exactly. It sounds like gymnasium gone crazy. Progimnasmata. Okay. There we go. There we are. And that is a that is a way of teaching r- writing through yep. a classical through a classical. So it's a uh, method. method. It, it's right. a method. Yep. All of these are methods, and they're very good for that reason. Yeah. Um, but we need to we need to remember that, that those are means, and means are not as high as ends. Yep. And therefore, if we reduce classical education to these formulae to these means only, um, then we are uh, we're not we're not we're we're not we're making the part into the whole and and that is setting us up for um, temptations to fall into uh, there's a weakness to that so so i think it's helpful again there's a strength and a weakness and the best way to to be able to i think classical education the best way to yeah. to maintain this is to know what are those right. what what are the pitfalls yeah so um, what are the strengths i think those those old tried and true formulas they have a they're more in touch with the more accurate anthropology of who human beings are. So, Dorothy Sayers' yeah. understanding of, of the development of, of uh, children, and I know there's all kinds of uh, criticisms of that, and people don't all agree, but I think there's, it's foolish to say there's nothing to it. There's obviously something that's, that's valuable there.
0: Right. And again, it's back to this human nature we have, which mm-hmm. is we want to be, you know, it's, I think, you know, certainly in scripture, I follow Apollo, so I follow Paul. I mean, we want to kind of find our little. Uh, home team and then align 100% with Charlotte Mason said it then that's the gospel if Dorothy Sayers said it or if Gregory seven if Gregory had a, one of the laws said it so again these are not bad things but if our again back to the core point if our method is our our God if you will of our school then yeah. um, uh, you know it's all about the Trivium and if that's it then it's a it's a weak foundation to build your school understanding
1: on. That's right. And again, if we maintain that understanding of ends and means, ends are higher than means. And education of the true sense, which is what I think most people in classical education are interested in, includes uh, education of the whole person and uh, education to, to uh, that formative. that's formative, yeah. that's not strictly we're going to make experts in the trivium, but we want to create good right. human beings. Right.
0: And I think it's really, you know, again, we have to model what we hopefully are Uh, infusing into our students, which is we want them A to not, there's no topic off, off, uh, you know, out of bounds. We can handle anything you want to throw at us. So again, if we are so, have made such a sacred cow out of Dorothy Sayers that we can't, you know, the queen can't be touched, then we've probably built something. There's an idol there maybe, or there's a problem there. I think that's right. Um, And, and so what, what are some other examples when you think about formulaic? So we've, you know, where do you see that kind of being played out in, maybe other ways that schools have just said, no, this is, this is our non-negotiable. We have to do it this way, and, um, and it creates tension. Um, I would say one thing, again, it's <clears throat> a lot of back to our comment earlier about just the, the attack we're getting of, of sort of being the Western – white world and and not having a bigger canon. Yeah. I think that that's an interesting thing. We hear we've talked about that a lot speakers have talked about that a lot here at the SEL conference, which is look, there there's everything obviously is measured against the truth of scripture. And there are obviously great books that are great, but there's also a lot of literature that we need to think about maybe engaging that's okay.
1: That's exactly where I was going to go. Um, well I was going to say also there's a formula that says all old books are great and therefore everyone should read them out all the time. Right and, and you know I, I've been I've seen schools that that teach you know Thomas Hobbes and Adam Smith and and um, John Locke and and Nietzsche and and all those and there 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 might be there might be I'm not I'm not I yeah. haven't fully thought through all this myself but I know that there are stages of development and the the uh, where where it's more appropriate where not just morally but where students are not able to understand i mean these are some of the deepest thinkers that have ever mm-hmm. produced human thought and the 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 um the problem is that i've seen is that some students can read those authors when they're in 11th grade and go away thinking oh yeah i read i read jean jacques rousseau i know what he right. thought Right. and never have to return to it and right. also go away <laughs> the rest of their lives thinking that they understand well
0: no, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: well. Yeah. I mean, these thinkers. I'm, re, I, you know, I've reread them numerous times. You know, even in graduate school, and I, and every time I come away with more and more respect for them. Thinking this right. is very difficult to well, understand. and, I, and I, I just, i was enthusiastically trying to jump
0: in there because yeah. I think again, one of the risks that's built into classical Christian, if it's not done well. I remember, you know, for years as a pastor, it was like one of the worst sins. I always thought about was like boring people with God. I think. The kind of the worst sense of the classroom is effectively boring people with the classics, and so what ends up happening. What I mean by that, to your point, is that if it's not taught well, so many students leave classical Christian schools and decide, "I've already done that. I, you know, I kind of got my merit badge on that. I'm done with it. I'm never going to go back again." Instead of there was a love that was instilled mm-hmm. of great ideas, and you could revisit it. So again, if it's formulaic, it's also kind of distasteful. It's what Charlotte right. Mason calls sawdust or twaddle. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't want that either. Right. So, right. Know. So let's go. Let's let's take a quick break because I want to I want to make sure we've got time to get into this third one as well. Um, let's let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is a fascinating uh, reminder of this balance we've got to have. And stay out of the ditches. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. So, Keith, we've got a, a whole generation of kids a day that are growing up um, being told, at least by the experts, that they're maybe uh, they're, they should be on some kind of medication. It seems like sort of the go-to response. I think most of us know that we don't want our kids there, but there are probably some families that really are saying, gosh, my kid is pretty high-strung. Is this a sign of, of
2: maybe needing to uh, go look into maybe some medication? You know, it's a question I get all the time with parents coming in saying, we've got all these issues we're considering this, what should we do? And I say, say to parents, I say, you know, before we make a decision or recommendation uh, to consider very powerful psychiatric meds, we first have to get a baseline to really figure out what's going on with your child. And I, and a baseline is this. I had one mom call it the rockier world uh, strategy <laughs> after I told her what it was. But for, for three months, change some things. For three months, respect three kind of three categories. The first, how the body's made, have your child have a set bedtime, every night, including weekends, that gives them nine or 10 hours of sleep. Think of a grammar school age child. Those are the parents often coming in asking this question. So all of a sudden you're guaranteeing for the next three months, your child's gonna get nine or 10 hours of sleep every night. Second thing, make sure nutrition, make sure they're eating three meals a day at least. It's amazing how many grammar school children do not eat breakfast. And the third is make sure they have regular physical activity. The average child today has minimal physical activity in grammar school. If they're playing a sport when they're older, that's a little different. So that's the first category. The second category of baselining your child is stripping all technology out of their life. In the grammar school years, it's rare that technology is required for school. So they can't even look up the weather on your phone. Remove all screens, all television, all technology. If they're gonna call grandma, they actually have to call her on a phone and talk to her. They cannot text her. This is a hard one, but it's amazing what it does in taking distraction out of the life. And then the third thing is put their life in a routine, especially, again, let's talk about grammar school. After school, you, know, you come in, you can have a snack, before you can do anything else, you gotta get your homework done. And then when that's done, before you can do anything else, you gotta contribute around here to the family in some meaningful way, but then you get freedom. In my experience, when we remove all of the tech, when we respect how the body's made, make sure they get sleep, And when we order their afternoon in a very simple way, at the end of the three months, the majority of folks who come to see me, the majority, the issues they came in with are gone. The ones who are left, every issue has softened. And if there's an issue that's valid, we see it more clearly.
0: That's really great advice. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but think as you're talking, I'm sure there are probably many adults that are actually either having to get on some form of medication or try to just manage life that could probably benefit from those three things as well.
2: Absolutely. So Absolutely.
0: Love it. All right. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com. And learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. So Clifford, we're uh, making our way through this list. We're on the third category of just really uh, ditches people can fall into. So we, we want to be we want to uh, be a people that really own and understand classical Christian education because it's such an important. Uh, tool that God has really given us to raise up the next generation. In fact, I think it's kind of the last best hope. I mean, Jesus is ultimately that, but I mean when it comes to like how do we formulate 16,000 hours of pouring day in and day out into the life of a student to form what they love and who they are and how they answer the most important questions in life, it's rich. But if our understanding is only about an inch deep and we just love the uniforms, but we think the rest of it's kind of crazy, we're probably going to head exit. So what's the last yeah. thing we need to be keeping in mind here? Okay.
1: So we talked about antiquarian. We talked about formulaic. The third one that I think of, this is again, another way of seeing classical education is what I call uh, virtuous education. It sounds good. Right? Yeah, yeah, it does. It yeah. does. All right. And you see, and it is, uh, there's definitely, definitely good points about it. So, um, Some main schools that do this are are, are Great Hearts Academy and the Barney Charter School Initiative uh, at Hillsdale uh, and the Thales Academy, the the academy that's connected to uh, the the college that I'm helping found. Um, And those schools are not religious, but they still hold out a moral ideal that they want students to to aspire to. Um, And then I would include also in this category all Christian schools that take really Christian formation as their primary emphasis. So uh, all of those schools have a have an understanding of virtue and so, uh, as that's what they're after that's what classical education yep. is um, and and again here I think there are strengths and weaknesses and all I'm saying is the best the way to is you, we've got to know what both of those are
0: so well I mean so you said earlier like Th Academy I guess has 15 outcomes of a good person so I mean that's right okay that's that's good but you're saying if, if that's the only, Thing you're hanging on to, that's not enough. Why isn't that enough?
1: Well, let's start. we we'll start with the strengths okay. first. So, um, so th- the good thing about those is that it's a, you're you're better able to accomplish formation of the whole person, which is really what education is. Yeah. Uh, you're you're focusing on the ends, right, as opposed to the formulaic type that focuses too much on the means. Um, and you've got. I think this also helps with clarity of mission that is uh, that is going to be lasting and attractive. So I think about uh, Hillsdale College, where I got my PhD. They're very clear what their mission is, and it's attractive, and it's countercultural in a lot of ways, and um, the success and yeah. popularity of Hillsdale College attests to that. Very well
0: respected, yeah.
1: Right. Uh, another strength is that is it schools that have virtue as one of their main purposes, it gives them an answer for all the moral dilemmas that can arise in curriculum, or at least most of them. And and that means that you're able to sort of finish the conversation about what does this mean ultimately for how we should therefore right. live. yeah. And schools that, that may, where, you, where, you, where they don't want to emphasize that, they have to kind of leave that up for you to kind of fill in on your own. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, a, that's a strength. Um, it also means that you're able to approach education as an end in itself and not simply as a tool. And I think that that's really important. So all of those are strengths of the of the yeah, virtue I mean, emphasis. Yeah, I don't
0: think there's a classical Christian school in the land that doesn't somehow tout in their goals are graduates and their open house talks virtue, virtue, virtue. We talk about it all the time. Right. Okay. But what's right. the dark? What's the dark? Ditch? Well, the the
1: <laughs> weakness is is that is that that can be reduced to mere virtue signaling, right? Empty rhetoric that sounds really impressive, but ultimately is insufficiently thoughtful about the methods of how you accomplish that. Right. They're concerned only with the ends, but they're not, but they're not actually accomplishing those ends. Mm. Uh, another thing is that they can sort of distort. Um, history and and turn things into sort of a narrative in order to fit the mold that they're yeah. that they're kind after m-
0: like moralistic type of just
1: that's right yeah that's right right so if you're if you're most concerned about making sure that the story always ends in such a way to support the narrative that you have that might be uh, that that might require some. Um, glossing over some facts that you which don't is want th- i mean which again is literally what's
0: happening outside our doors i mean this is what, exactly what the world everything's revisionist right now it's to create a narrative that fits your story that's right. forget whatever happened historically that's right so we can be guilty of that we classical
1: people <laughs>
0: believe it or not <laughs> what? believe it or not i think so <laughs> okay we'll say more like what what does that look like to you i mean where have you seen that sort of played out where we get ourselves um you know we, again we kind of revi- create a revisionist version of sure yeah. well
1: um so Hillsdale College, uh, my PhD is in politics, and Hillsdale College I think is doing a lot of great work for um, helping educate the country uh, about how to look at America's past. And obviously, mm. right now the uh, the political left is is really um, holding that over, Amer- over America's head and saying this is what should define us. Right. And um, Hillsdale I think is doing a good job of helping people think through how d- we can't ignore these uh, slavery and these 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 sure. dark parts of American history. Are, should they define us though, and let's go look at what the founders and the people at the you know the uh, the times of the founding, what did they actually say and let's read those thoughts and let that be our guide um, so uh, so i'm I'm thinking that that's that's a good example of how to be thoughtful about yeah. how, to con- how to how to w- w- we have virtuous ideals that we want to be pointing toward, but we can't ignore things in the past right but th- well, there ought to be ways that we can we can do that in such a way that we don't sacrifice. Uh, the, the, well, and the I think sometimes
0: it may maybe another way to see it for our, our parents is and teachers, too, is it's, uh, if all we do is declare these virtues, these goals, the graduates, that's the end-all be of everything that we do, then when that doesn't happen, because little Johnny is a fallen human being and maybe graduates and doesn't embody all of them, that doesn't mean catastrophic failure of the school, which I think right. so often is how— we get disillusioned. Like, I, I bought a virtuous kid, and he's not virtuous. Like, right. I'm not sure right. Right. that was right. the Yes, and it may be a little parable of the sower here, and, you know, check back, you know, a prodigal son, you check back, he may uh, he rebound a few years after, you know, growing up a bit more. Yeah. the seeds were planted well. But I think that's a really good point, because it's so easy to just get very, um, uh, again, kind of idolizing virtue as the end all be all of everything. Right. Makes good sense. All right. So, for time, kind of this, I, these are so, I mean, we're again to our point of the whole thing, we've gone maybe two inches
1: deep. There's still a lot more depth to all right. of this. So, right. where do we
0: go to just continue to sharpen
1: ourselves yeah. here? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that. I've just presented problems and questions that yeah. people, so that we don't just reduce classical education to these simple understandings. Absolutely. And, and understand it. it's much more complex than that. Um, something that kind of helped inspire this thought for me was reading uh, Plato's Phaedrus, where he talks about the legend of the invention of writing. And he tells this legend of a god that comes to an Egyptian king with, with the art of writing. And the the king is very wise. And the, gods, the god says, This is the tool of writing, and it is a tool for memory. It will help people remember things. And the king says, "Actually, no. This is not a tool for remembering. This is a tool for forgetting. Because if I simply learn to write things down, I don't have to remember them. And uh, and, and another problem with writing is, he says, is that it says the same thing to every single person. And personally, I think that's why Plato wrote in dialogues because he's not a treatise. It, you just get to listen in on a conversation, and you have to. You have. To, everybody will hear something different in a conversation." So um that to me was an example of that the king in the in the legend there is is an example of someone who was thoughtful about a tool that could be very very helpful yep. but was careful about how to use it. Yeah. Um so th- I hope that we see classical education, not just as a tool, but as something that has to be thought through so that we'll be discerning about this really wonderful thing yeah. that everybody uh, in our in our universe here really loves and appreciates, but I fear doesn't have a—can a, 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 have a deeper understanding. Yeah, so.
0: and I think, again, kind of paralleling it to the Christian faith, there's this freedom to explore. I mean, I don't—you know, no one's going to uh, pursue the depths of theology and get to the end and realize, wait— all of this was wrong. God made a giant mistake. I right. Mean, you're not going to. I don't think you're going to disprove the effectiveness of classical Christian education. Right. So you're not going to hurt it to push into it. Yeah. You're more likely to hurt yourself by just having a very cursory understanding of it and then getting blown away when hard questions come. That's
1: right. And a, a, a book that was published very recently by Eric Adler called The Battle of the Classics is sort of an mm. example of, the, of this, where he he looks at an hist- uh, his- historically at some debates that took place in the 19th century about the role of classics. Um, and, and what his basic uh, idea is in that book is that if you reduce classical education to a utilitarian uh, tool, um, it ultimately is, can be outdated and replaced and it has no reason to, right. to stick around. Yeah. And therefore, it has to have a moral defense. And that's what I hope that people in the classical education world will have. They'll have a robust understanding of classical education and will be able to give a, a thorough moral defense of why we're mm. doing this thing.
0: So this has been a, a rich conversation. Again, I think maybe we got, maybe we got three inches deep. Uh, there's a lot <laughs> lot to this. Uh, Cliver, thanks so much for challenging us to think deeply and to and to explore this beautiful thing called classical Christian education. So yeah. hey, hey, folks want to learn more about what you're doing and the college, where, where do they need to get? Yeah,
1: yeah. So go to ThalesCollege.org. Uh, like I said, we're a brand new college. It's launching this year in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and we are again trying to be thoughtful about classical education, but also uh, thoughtful about for example online learning so we don't have classes that are strictly online but we think that there are purposes and uses that we can put um, online learning to and we're going to leverage the advantages of a small classroom for, for those kinds of things so we're putting these things together we're putting the old and the new together in thoughtful ways without trying to sacrifice either one sounds fantastic well thank you so much we'll have to have you back
0: um, I hope so there's yeah. a lot, lot of good conversations still be had thanks thank so you much, much. hey there everyone this is Paul Drake with Basecamp Live and the Society for Classical Learning. Davies and I are excited you tuned in today. We want to hear where you are listening from. So send in a shout out or a question to info at And don't forget, share this podcast with someone you think will benefit from it. And until next time, keep on raising the next generation.